Hola, and welcome to the first episode of a new podcast that I'm just starting today, Monday, June 3rd, 2019. My name's Karen Kerbis. I am known in some very small places as La Gringa Novelera, which means the white girl that's obsessed with telenovelas. And maybe, now that I just said that, maybe I will change the name on my podcast to La Gringa Novelera. But in any event, this podcast is going to be super awkward because I've never done it before. Um, And I don't want to be long-winded, but I know that people who know me know that's sort of impossible. Um, Let me tell you a little bit about what this is all about. Um, Five years ago, I was living in Chicago, a city I lived in my whole life. And I had never been to Mexico, and I did not speak Spanish. Not like a choice, I just never learned Spanish. Um, I did know a little bit of courthouse Spanish, as we say, because I I was working at the time as an assistant state's attorney prosecuting gang crimes in the Cook County State's Attorney's Office. I was an assistant state's attorney there for 23 years, And uh, I was a gang crimes prosecutor for 16 of those years. And when this long adventure begins, and I believe me, I will not tell you the whole long adventure on this podcast, because you will totally stop listening by about the year 2022, maybe. No. Okay. So five years ago, I was very happy living in Chicago, working as a gang crimes prosecutor, And it was winter, and those of you who know winter in Chicago know that just like being out after midnight, bad things happen. Um, Although, in my case, it was a good thing. But winter was particularly hard that year. We hadn't even gotten to Christmas yet. And uh, so the city didn't look like a dirty ashtray just yet because the Christmas lights were still up. But you know what it's like uh, in Chicago. Uh, Everybody looks like the Michelin man with their gigantic coats and um, boots. And anyway, I had come home from work and I was looking for something to watch on TV. And I know it's going to sound like the year or the land that time forgot, but like five years ago, Netflix as a streaming service didn't exist. No Amazon streaming, no Hulu, any of that. And so all you had were like 450 cable stations, which clearly were not enough. I was looking for something good to watch, um, and uh, I was a huge Seinfeld fan. And at that point, Seinfeld was in syndication and was probably on TV seven or eight times a day. Um, But weirdly, I couldn't find a Seinfeld episode, and I had enough of bad news, and Trump wasn't even the president yet five years ago. I didn't know how bad the news was going to get. But anyway, um, as I was uh, searching for something to watch, I stopped at Channel 14, I think, in Chicago, uh, the Telemundo, the state, Telemundo, Spanish language television. At the time, there were two big ones, Telemundo and Univision. And I just happened to stumble on Telemundo, Uh, and probably would have gone past it if it was a commercial, I'm sure, or if I hadn't been grabbed. But I was grabbed. It was as if hands reached out from my television, 
and grab me by my throat, just like the movie The Ring, except in a good way. Um, it was a scene from a telenovela called Corazon Valiente, which means brave heart. And if I set up this podcast correct, correctly, which is a big if, um, but if I set it up correctly, you will hear the theme song from Corazon Valiente, the extremely overwrought theme song from Corazon Valiente, somewhere in this podcast. I have no idea where, because this, this is all like a huge experiment right now. But anyway, so it was a scene from a telenovela, and for those of you who don't know, telenovelas are the uh, serials that are on, uh, they're like mini-series that are on every night, on not only uh, Spanish-speaking television stations, but, I mean, they're huge all over the world. Uh, Turkey, Greece, um, you could just name about any country. But just like soccer, they never caught on as much in the U.S., except, of course, for the people, the uh, you know, people that lived in Chicago that came from countries where they watched them. Anyway... So I knew what they were, and uh, well, I shouldn't say that. I thought I knew what they were, because I would have said, oh, they're the Spanish soap operas. They are not. Um, they are nothing like soap operas. I watched All My Children, One Life to Live in General Hospital for like 30 or 40 years. And in One Life to Live, Joe Riley, one of Vicky's husbands, wore the same trench coat for like six months. Um, in the same scene, like the same scene went on for six months. That's why he was in the same trench coat. Because um, I love soap operas, but, you know, things happen slowly. Not in a telenovela, but I'll get to that in another episode. In any event, I stopped at this novella, Corazon Valiente, which I knew absolutely nothing about. All I can tell you is that it was a scene between the actors I later came to know, um, Miguel Varoni and Jimena Duque. Very compelling, captivating actors. And they were in a scene, and they kept calling Miguel Varoni the scientist. Literally, like, I mean, that was the word, scientist. And I was like, what kind of a scientist wears his shirts unbuttoned down to the middle of his chest and basically spends the entire episode trying to make time with Jimena Duque, who, as I learned, was a bodyguard of some kind. And I guess she was supposed to be a bodyguard to the scientist, but I had no idea. I, I was just like, why are they calling him a scientist? Because I took science. Nobody ever looked like this, which is why I did really poorly at science. If those scientists that taught science classes would have looked like and acted like Miguel Veroni, I would have like invented a thing to get us to the moon already. But in any event, I was just like, who are these two? What are they doing? And then in the next scene, it looked to me like a baby was in charge of his own kidnapping because there was some baby sitting in a bouncy seat on a table surrounded by three men who totally looked like they were up to no good. And I thought, well, that baby must be kidnapped because the baby clearly didn't belong with these men. But the thing was, is that the men would look down at the baby 
But more importantly, the baby would look up at the men with some kind of an expression on his face that was actually scary, and it was a baby. And also the theme music from what sounded like The Omen played, like a one-off version of the music from The Omen, like the like that crazy Latin chanting before the um, Rottweilers killed someone in that movie. Um, that's what it looked like. And then the men would recoil in horror. And I was like, is this baby in charge of his own kidnapping? But of course, I didn't speak Spanish. And as luck would have it, because I will say it was luck, I didn't know how to put on the closed captioning on my television to get English subtitles. I'm not even sure if it was an option at the time. Um, I had like a 41-inch tube TV, which I would like to point out weighed more than a house, perhaps. Um, But, you know, that was before flat screens. I know I sound like the whole thing is from some ancient time period, but it was like 2013. No streaming, gigantic tube TV, and maybe or maybe not um, able to get subtitles, but I couldn't figure it out. So I was watching it, and I went back the next night to see if I could understand a little bit more. Because at that point, the only Spanish I knew was courthouse Spanish, which is basically, siéntese, por favor, please have a seat. And tienes un abogado, do you have a lawyer? That's it. Um, So I didn't understand any of it, but I loved watching it because A, Everybody seemed crazy. Like there didn't seem to be one normal person in the whole cast. Um, And then everybody also had these conversations that were at an incredible pitch. Like every conversation was the most important conversation in the world. Every conversation was very dramatic. Some kid came through the door and threw away his crutches like Tiny Tim and I guess he meant a duque was the mother, and then but she still went out to go visit the scientist. And I think her husband was mad at her because he was like, oh, your son just started to walk and you're going to the scientist? I mean, I think that's what he said to her. I still don't know. Um, I would have to watch it again, but it was something like he was mad because the kid threw away his crutches and then she goes like prancing out the door and Everybody seemed really happy that the the young man threw away his crutches. So I don't know why she went to the scientist. I don't think the scientist cured him. Um, in fact, I'm quite certain of it because when I did go back later and try to watch some episodes of Corazon Valiente years later when they repeated it, um, Miguel Veroni was pretending to be a scientist, but he was really a killer. Um, so anyway... But to go back to, you know, two or three episodes into the show, um, I was just fascinated by it. And I wished I spoke Spanish so I could understand what the heck was going on on this show because I had never seen anything like it. Um, And I'll tell you honestly, when I did go back a few years ago, I mean, when I did go back recently to watch a few episodes to see if any of it made more sense to me now. I understood a lot more. Um, and I'll tell you some funny things that I figured out uh, because I did understand Spanish better uh, when I tried to, you know, cut, catch some episodes again. But um, I really, it was a crazy, 
fun series. And I'm not sure by the end of it if anybody knew what was happening because I learned later that um, they had to write at the very end like an additional 20 episodes uh, because the next novella, I guess, wasn't quite ready to hit the air that was going to take its place. And so um, they had to come up with some episodes at the last minute that uh, so and those were the episodes I was watching, which I learned uh, later. But anyway, to go back to that cold and stormy winter night and the next night and the next night, I kept coming back for more Corazon Valiente, thoroughly confused. Then what happens next? Not to sound like Monk, but here's what happened. Um, Christmas comes and I'll tell you later a little bit more about my family but we are a very ethnic family full of immigrants. Um, President Trump, who, you know, I don't want to get political on here, I guess, but I don't know. To me, everything is political lately. But we are a family of immigrants from all over the world or all over Europe, I guess. Um, I shouldn't be so dramatic all over the world. It's not like anybody's from Australia or New Zealand, but Italy, um, in-laws from Greece, in-laws, in-laws from Czechoslovakia, um, you know, people that came to the States, a lot of them not speaking English and learned it and made, a wonderful, made wonderful lives for themselves. But we were all together at Christmas Eve. And uh, one of my cousins, who was originally from Italy and, of course, spoke perfect Italian and English um, and lived in Florida, was about to marry a woman from Brazil, and he was learning Portuguese so that he could speak to his new in-laws. And that led us to a conversation uh, that led me to ask, you know, many of my relatives and in-laws, how did you learn English when you got here? And all of them learned it from television. Um, The people that were like around my age learned it from all my children, which was remarkable because you know, I mean, that show was on for a long time, but I don't know how you could come in the middle of it and watch it and watch it well enough. Uh, watch, I'm sorry, understand it well enough to learn English, but they did. Um, for some of them, it was Friends, Saved by the Bell. It just depended on, you know, how old they were, what were the popular TV shows. But every single one of them learned English from watching TV. And since I grew up in a house that had 13 TVs, which might seem a little weird because there were only, um, you know, four kids and two parents and none of us were network executives. Um, And I'll tell you more about my family and how we came to the 13 TVs later. But in any event, I was very familiar with TV. And um, I, the idea of learning anything from TV was so much more appealing because I was a terrible student, especially a terrible law student. But um, so I thought, well, if they could learn English from watching America, you know, all my children and friends, maybe I could learn Spanish from watching a telenovela. Now, we're still in December of 2013 at this point. And so I went to work shortly after that, and I asked my good friend um, and co-worker Irma Lopez, who was a Mexicana, um, but from, you know, from Mexico, but, you know, grew up in Chicago. 
And I asked Irma if she watched telenovelas, and she was like, of course I do. But that's not such a silly question, because there are plenty of people um, from Latin America that don't watch telenovelas. And that was a big mistake I made. I assumed everybody uh, from Latin America watched novellas, but no, um, they're all watching Netflix. Um, <laughs> so it's like, I'm the one who wants to watch telenovelas morning, noon, and night. But I asked Irma if she was watching, if she watched novellas, and she said she did. And I said, well, do you think I could learn English from watching a telenovela? And she said, yeah, I think so. I don't see why not, because, of course, she knew people, too, who would come here from Mexico and other countries in Latin America, and they learned English the same way as my relatives did from TV. So she said, yeah, of course you can learn it from telenovelas. I said, okay, do you think I can learn it from Corazon Valiente? And I got my first lesson in telenovelas when Irma said, absolutely not. And I said, why not? Now I was mad. She said, because Corazon Valiente is in its ultimos capitulos, concluding episodes, closing episodes. I didn't know there was such a thing. But I knew nothing about it. I mean, at that point, Corazon Valiente was probably like 210 episodes, and we were on episode maybe 207. Uh, Irma said, there's no way you can learn Spanish from that show because it's coming to an end. But on January 8th, another novella will take its place called La Patrona. And Irma was going to watch that, and her mother in Texas, but she might have been visiting Irma here in Chicago at the time. She was going to watch it too because it starred two huge actresses. The, uh, the, the late, she recently died. She was fantastic, and I'll tell you more about her in later podcasts, but Christiane Bach played La, played La Patrona, and Araceli Arambula played the woman who wanted to be La Patrona. And really, in the tiny town of San Pedro del Oro, there cannot be two La Patronas because the town was very small and that would mean like the whole town would almost be killed off. But Araceli Arambula wanted to be a good Patrona and deserved to be La Patrona because she really owned the mind that made all the money that Christiane Bach's Patrona stole from her family. Anyway, I'll get into all that later. But... All you need to know now is Cortezon Valiente was coming to an end and La Patrona was about to begin. And Irma said, that was the novella I should watch because it was going to be great. And um, I, you know, I could watch it at my house. Irma would watch it at her house. And then the next day at work, uh, with apologies to the taxpayers of Cook County, we could analyze, Irma could help me figure out the episode because, of course, I was going to be, you know, trying to learn Spanish from it. So that's the beginning of all this. Um, and I will tell you in a, in a later podcast, you know, what happened next when I started to watch La Patrona. But what I want to tell you uh, before I end is this because this is really the key to the whole podcast, if I may be so dramatic, as if there is a key um, to the podcast. It's this. Five years ago, I made that decision to watch La Patrona all the way through to see if I could learn Spanish from watching La Patrona. And now, of course, we were in 2014, January of 2014. Um, 
And I did. But what's happened is five years later, um, I'm sorry, January, yeah, January of, no, I'm sorry, it's January of 2013. I am like the worst podcaster because I can't remember the years. Cortisone Valiente was concluding in 2012 and La Patrona was starting in 2013. And um, I made that decision based upon stumbling upon Cortisone Valiente to watch La Patrona and see if I could learn Spanish from it. And from that one, what would seem to be a silly decision, my entire life changed. And I know that sounds super dramatic, um, but when I, when I tell you my whole life changed, this is how much my life changed. Two days ago, I moved to Mexico City. I am doing this podcast from my little studio in Mexico City, in La Condesa. Um, I had never been to Mexico in my life. I had traveled, um, and, but I had never been to Mexico. And I left my job early. Uh, I was able to retire, and I did. And I left my job, and I left Chicago. I never lived anywhere. I'd never lived anywhere else. I left my family. I left my friends. Um, and I moved, I've moved to Mexico City to write the telenovela of my dreams. Um, and I can't believe I'm actually now doing a podcast from Mexico City. Um, I, and I've called this podcast, you may be wondering, um, My Mexican Mistakes, because it was, it was certainly not a mistake to move to Mexico. I love it here. I landed Saturday night, and I was very tired. And I'll be honest, the ride from the airport, I know everybody says Mexico City is so huge. I'm not saying it's not, but the airport isn't far from here. But that ride from the airport to uh, the place that I'm living in reminded me very much of like what Desplaines looks like. Like I think every airport is in the same exact kind of neighborhood because uh, really if the signs weren't in Spanish, I would have sworn I was in Desplaines or Schiller Park, one of those neighborhoods around O'Hare Airport. Um, but we got here late Saturday night and I woke up Sunday morning under Mexican skies and I have been in heaven ever since. I could not be happier. I call this my Mexican mistakes because there's two things I don't understand very well. I mean, I understand Spanish better, but I have made a lot of mistakes since I've gotten here. Um, and I don't understand the metric system at all. And that is a deadly combination, not speaking Spanish very well and not understanding the metric system at all. And I'll tell you more about that in later podcasts. But so that's why I call it, because I expect to make a lot of mistakes um, speaking Spanish and making decisions and doing things. And I got lost this morning, but like every good novella, we, I had a happy ending and found my way home. But there were some adventures on the way. Um, I am excited to be here. I'm happy to be doing this podcast. If I did this right, the music you will hear is from Cortazón Valiente. I wanted to sort of pay tribute to the novellas that kick this all off. And the first one is Cortazón Valiente, Braveheart. Anyway, thank you for listening. If you're still listening, who knows? Um, you know, probably nobody's listening anymore. But if you are listening, um, stay with me. 
I will try to get better with every podcast. And I'm also on Facebook and Instagram as Gringa Novelera. Um, that's my, my fan page on, or my, well, I guess a fan page sounds like, what am I, Elvis? Um, but it is a page, and it's La Gringa Novelera. Um, and I write about the novellas there. And also on Instagram is Gringa Novelera, and on Facebook to just like my own name, Karen Kerbis. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. I'm sure there'll be some changes to the form of this along the way as I get better, but you have to start somewhere. And so I'm starting with this one, and I'm sorry if you have had the misfortune of listening to this first podcast. Thank you. Bye. Hello, hello, not exactly a Mexican hello, but I've always wanted to do the great hello from Seinfeld that Jerry and George did in that one episode that drove Jerry's girlfriend crazy when they would go hello, and I don't know why it was so funny, but it was so funny um, when they would do the voice. Okay, so let me get back to Mexico, where I am currently living. Mexico City. Hola. Live from Mexico City. It's my podcast, My Mexican Mistakes. This is, I don't know, episode 670. I've lost count. Um, I've lost count of how many episodes, but I think it's like 15 at this point. Um, And uh, it's carried on... Apple, uh, and Spotify, and Anchor, and Google Play, and something called Pocket Cast, and about seven other platforms that I cannot remember the names of, because marketing is not exactly my strong suit. So I'm not quite sure where I am, except I know for certain it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Anchor. Um, Okay. Anyway, enough with that. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being um, a fan, if you are. And uh, this is another chapter in a series of podcasts, broadcasts from Mexico City. I moved here in June to start a new life. And I left Chicago. I left my family, my friends. I left my job. I left a great apartment that I loved in the West Town area to move to Mexico City to write and to live the telenovela of my dreams. And as some of you know, if you've been listening, um, when when I made the decision to move here, yes, it did occur to me, I had never been to Mexico before. Not Cancun, not Puerto Vallarta, not all the vacation, uh, big tourist places on the beaches. I'd never been to Mexico. I have been learning Spanish from telenovelas, so my Spanish is not really effective, but it is very dramatic. And if I, uh, you know, get pregnant, I know what to say. Estoy empatizada. Um, And that stops everything, by the way, in a telenovela when the woman announces she's pregnant. It might be good. It might not be. 
it's always hard to know. It depends, you know, basically on uh, who the father is. But I'll tell you what, one thing it totally stops in a telenovela is anybody hurting her. And so um, I have decided here when people said, well, you know, aren't you afraid and it's a different country and you don't know the language, you don't know the metric system, you'll never understand the money, even though it is based on the decimal system. So it's inexcusable that I still haven't figured out the money. But they're like, what are you going to do? Do you have like a safety plan? Can you call 911? Um, and my safety plan is, I have one, and it's based upon what I've learned from telenovelas, which is I am going to yell, estoy emperezada, if anybody tries to you know hurt me or take anything from me, um, because based upon what I've seen in novellas, yelling that you're pregnant can save your life. Um, and having said that, I have been here for almost, I don't know, like five months. Um, I've been here since June 1st. It's like five months, I think. And uh, I have never felt unsafe. I love it here. The people are super warm and helpful. Um, and it's it's such an elegant and beautiful city. And I know in every episode I talk about the city and I talk about the mistakes I make, which is what this entire podcast was based on, because I make plenty of mistakes here. And even when it comes close to the time of doing a new podcast and I'm worried I might not have a mistake to talk about, have no fear. I always have a mistake to talk about. So here's what happened just a few days ago. I had decided I'm living in San Angel now, which is so beautiful, cobblestone streets, um, houses that are set back off the street behind the biggest walls you've ever seen. Um, like, But they're walls that are covered in flowers, and they're walls that are like decorated and um, have like tiles inlaid in them. Some of the walls look like they're made out of wood, but like a super thick, super strong wood. But behind those walls, when you can get a glimpse at the house, when somebody either opens a door or like the garage, um, and you can get a glimpse into those houses, they're fantastic. Um, they're like something like out of a storybook. Um, and San, in San Angel, uh, it like the streets are kind of hilly. Yes, just like everywhere in Mexico City, inexplicably, the curbs are super high. Um, in many spots. And I believe uh, that that is the best evidence that cars have the right of way and people don't. Because if you're crossing a street and that curb is so high, it just looks, you know, impassable, just look for a driveway. Because there's going to be a ton of them. And of course, they're perfectly, um, I don't know, whatever, however, when cement is like done really well. They're smooth. There's not a crack. They're so easy to walk up. That's because cars have the right of way here, not pedestrians. No one cares if you can't cross the street because the curb is too high. Because already it's pretty hard to cross the street because cars are coming from the east, west, north, and south 
all at the same time. There's like four different traffic lights controlling four different streets at one intersection. And I guarantee you, none of those traffic lights are for you if you're on foot. So between that and then the curbs being in some corners almost impassable, um, you just look for a driveway and you'll be fine. And there'll be a driveway like within two feet of you. It's not like you have to search for a driveway because, oh no, cars have very easy access to everything they want. Pedestrians, not so much. It's about my only criticism of Mexico City is that even though it is a beautiful walking city um, and there's so much to see, you do have to always look down because I guarantee you, you're going to be coming up on either a gigantic crack, a tree growing through the sidewalk, um, a dip, um, a raise. I don't know. What's the opposite of a dip? Like if there's a dip in the sidewalk and then you walk two feet, then you're going to have to go up. But I don't know what that's called, but you know what I mean. Now, a funny thing on that note, and I was not going to talk about this, but it just reminds me of something that I've seen, which is this. Where there are cuts on the curb for uh, wheelchairs, like a handicap access, um, which doesn't exist at every curb, but if you get to an intersection and you look around on one of those four corners, you might spot a handicap cut, um, but not always. But many times when there is a handicap cut, there's actually a sign that says that the cut has been sponsored by Coca-Cola. The handicap access has been sponsored by Coca-Cola. And I'm not quite sure how that happens. Does somebody, like it's the equivalent of streets and sanitation, go to Coca-Cola and say, hey, we want to have some more handicap access to these um, curbs. Uh, we need, you know, to be able to have people that either uh, have a limitation walking or maybe are in a wheelchair. They need to get across the street. Coca-Cola, can you help us out? Like, whose idea was it to go to Coca-Cola and say, hey, help us with the handicap access? I don't know. I would love to get down to the bottom of that. And I would like to see companies sponsoring more things in Chicago. I'd have to think about what those things are and what those companies are. But I think that once again, Mexico has discovered a golden opportunity that we have not taken advantage of uh, in the States. So yes, much of the access for uh, people with disabilities are provided by Coca-Cola. I can't explain why, but I think it's brilliant. Um, so now let me tell you about my mistake, which was this. So a few days ago, even though I am living in San Angel, I'm not far from Condesa, and I decided to return to my old stomping grounds of Condesa, as I do sometimes, um, because I was dying for fish tacos from Pescadito. And if you don't know Pescadito and you're in Mexico City or you're coming to Mexico City, you've got to go to Pescadito. I think there's like three or four of them. Um, they are like the greatest fish tacos um, with, quite frankly, the best condiments bar I have ever seen in my life. Now, 
I do want to say this. In Chicago, I love the Billy Goat for burgers. But what I love even more than the burgers is the condiment bar because they have bins of pickles and onions. So there's no limitation on how many pickles and onions you can put on your burger. And I always like to get like a lot for my burger. Not so much the onions, um, but a lot of pickles and then a lot of pickles on the side. Because what's better than that? Nothing. At Pescadito, let me just think of what the what how if I go down the whole condiment bar, like where it starts and where it ends. So you well, let me explain this. You step up in line and you order your fish. Uh, well, you order what you want: shrimp tacos, uh, regular fish tacos, marlin. I don't know. They have all kinds of fish tacos, um, and none of them are expensive. And they're frying it right in front of you, so everything is so fresh. And then some guy wanders up to you and says, what do you want to drink? And he points to the cooler. And whatever it is you say, he'll pull from the cooler. And then that guy picks where you're going to sit. So you have to like look for your beverage after you get the food. It's an interesting setup. Quite frankly, I like to pick my own spot, but I'm not going to argue because I don't really speak Spanish well enough to argue about that. Um, And that is like... You know, I used to love to argue in Chicago, like everywhere I went, I like to have a little bit of an argument just to kind of keep my brain on top of things. Um, And, uh, you know, no, I don't want to sit here. I want to sit there. Um, You know, that kind of a thing. Not unpleasant, just, you know, I I sort of did, I do have to admit, I did like to engage in arguments here and there. I do not ever engage in an argument here because my Spanish isn't good enough. And I'm not even close to being good enough to argue. So no matter what happens, I just say gracias. And I find that I am a much nicer person in Mexico City than I ever was in Chicago. And that's pretty much because I don't speak the language. And I'm totally relying on the kindness of strangers. Um, So anyway, so you wait in line like maybe two minutes for the fish taco or whatever, fish platter. And then the guy puts your beverage down at a seat, and then they give you a piece of paper that has what you ordered on it. Like when they hand you the tacos, like like I got two tacos. They hand you the tacos, they hand you the piece of paper that's like the little bill that has what you ordered on the bill. So in my case, it was two tacos and a bottle of water. Um, <clears throat> but you don't pay there and then. You just sit down with your food and you eat it while it's still hot. Of course, you make the stop at the condiment bar, which is where I started with this. So here's how the condiment bar goes. First of all, there's coleslaw, like regular American coleslaw, which I have totally missed. It's like the only place I have seen regular, the coleslaw, like I ate my whole life in Chicago. Okay, so there's coleslaw. Now, there's um, like red pickled onions. Then there's, I guess, white pickled onions, or maybe not pickled. Then there's all different kinds of peppers. Then there's some uh, fresh salsa or pico de gallo. Behind the bins of condiments are is lined up like, I don't know, like eight different kinds of salsas and hot sauces, but there's also bins 
of salsa verde, green salsa, red salsa. Some oh, and then bottles of kind of like a fish, almost not tartar sauce, almost like Thousand Island. Like it's like you've seen this taco sauce on tac on fish taco this taco sauce on fish tacos even in the states. It's like pink, and it's kind of like Thousand Island dressing, but not really. But it has cilantro and lime in it, and I don't know what else. It's delicious, like a Baja sauce. Then there's bins of limes, um, because, of course, lime goes on everything. Um, And then I think there's another bin of, like, a different kind of salsa. There's, like, ten bins of condiments, and then there's bottles of sauces and hot sauces lined up behind the bins. It's it's remarkable, and it's also delicious. So anyway, so I went to the taco place. Then I did a couple errands that I could have done in San Angel, but as long as I was there, I did them, you know, in Condesa. But as I was walking down one of the streets in Condesa, I noticed, first of all, a couple of police cars not exactly blocking the intersection, but definitely pulled up kind of haphazardly into the middle of the intersection. Like they might not be thinking, oh, let's block the intersection. But I think they were thinking, I don't really care where we park. And I don't care where they park either. Um, So I didn't really, didn't bother me or anything. But I did notice it because they had their lights on um, and they were just stopped. And then I saw... I noticed a crowd of people in and around the police cars. And I noticed the police were talking to a lot of these people. So I thought from a distance, it might have been a car accident or something. I mean, I'll be honest, I wasn't really that interested because I was paying very close attention to the sidewalk that I was walking on because there were a lot of cracks. Um, And I just know I'm going to have a big fall here and I'm dreading it. Um, so I do everything I can to avoid falling. And that includes looking down a lot at the sidewalks I'm walking on. Condesa is a neighborhood with um, where you will find a lot of construction on different blocks, I guess because of the um, earthquake. It did destroy, unfortunately, or damage a lot of buildings. And then there's just a lot of rehabbing going on. And so it's very busy with a lot of stuff happening in the construction business. And I did notice like construction trucks and then obviously the police and then these people. But then when I got closer to them, I realized everybody, the police, the the civilians, the people like and the construction sites, they were all pointing at something. And there were like 40 people that were all pointing at something. And so I turned around because it was like they were pointing. First, I thought maybe they were pointing at me, but then I thought, no, that's completely paranoid um, because they weren't. But they were pointing behind me. And so I turned around to see what they were pointing at. And I couldn't tell. I looked up. I believed I was looking up in the same direction they were looking. I was looking up at where they were pointing. Um... And then someone looked over at me and smiled and nodded like, can you believe this? Except I still don't know. I didn't know what they were pointing at then. I still don't know what they were pointing at now. Um, I, It was weird because they were all looking at something 
that I couldn't see. And I did have my contact lenses in. I took off my sunglasses. I stood there. I tried to kind of get out of the way um, so that I could really study it and figure out what the hell are they looking at. But I could not. And I didn't want to ask anybody what they were looking at because A, I didn't know how to say it. And B, if they would have told me what they were looking at in Spanish, I probably wouldn't have understood it. Um, and I didn't want to give the game away that I couldn't speak Spanish. So I thought better to stand here and look like I'm totally part of the scene than open my mouth and reveal I'm not. Because let me tell you something. I will walk into a business and be like, hola, or buenas tardes, or whatever. I will give the most minimal greeting in Spanish, correct Spanish. I won't say perfect Spanish, um, but I'll say correct Spanish. A very simple greeting, buenos dias, hola. And yet, as soon as I open my mouth and say one or two little words, they immediately know that I don't that I'm an American. And so then they're like, oh, do you want an American menu or sorry, I don't speak English or whatever. They'll go out of their way to accommodate me. It's not like something bad happens. It's just that I just wish for once somebody would think I was Mexican um, and that I would not give myself away as soon as I said the most simple words. And I don't know if that's my Chicago accent coming out in the Spanish. I don't know. All I know is I have not, not once have I been mistaken for a Mexican woman um, while I've been here once I've opened my mouth. But if I stay quiet and somebody speaks to me spontaneously, they always speak in Spanish because they assume I'm from here. I like that better. I like that better than opening my mouth and giving the game away. So I'm going to I'm putting this under the category of a mistake because I probably made a mistake by not seeing what it was they were all pointing at, what brought the police out. Um, I, you know, I was looking for somebody maybe about to jump out of the window or a downed power line. No, I didn't see anything like that. So I have no idea what they were looking at, and I'll never know. And that will be another mystery of Mexico City. And maybe it's a mistake to be afraid to open my mouth sometimes and give the game away. But sometimes I just want people to think that I'm from here. And I did when I was in Condesa um, at that corner. Uh, anyway, so not the world's biggest mistake and maybe not a mistake at all, but it definitely is a mystery. Um, so in a few tomorrow... My friend Maria is coming here from Chicago to visit me here in Mexico City. She's never been to Mexico before, or Mexico City before. And I was thinking of all the things I could show her and the things that are interesting in Mexico City, which is like about a gazillion things. But as I was thinking about what to do with her when she got here, and also at the same time thinking about this podcast, it sort of reminded me of the things that I love about Mexico City that I may 
Matt have mentioned yet. One of the things is this. The word for cash in Spanish is efectivo. Like take the word effect or the word effective and change the E at the end to an O. Efectivo. That's cash. I think that's the greatest translation of a word ever because there is nothing more effective than cash. And so it's just called efectivo. It's very effective. It's like one of my favorite words here. Um, we're getting ready. I like to say we as if I'm actually doing something. We're getting ready here for the Day of the Dead celebrations, which I'll talk more about in... Oh, pardon me, I sneezed. Um, what do you do when you sneeze in a podcast? I I have not heard a sneeze in a podcast. I'm sure it's happened. Um, I guess I'll just say excuse me and go on. Um, I'm going to talk about Day of the Dead, much more about it in the next podcast, because it will be on the heels of the Day of the Dead uh, celebrations, and which are um, from basically the night of October 31st. Yes, I know that's Halloween. Day of the Dead is not Mexican Halloween, so get that mistaken idea out of your head right now. Um, but uh, it, it really kicks in November 1st and November 2nd. And it's huge, but I will. it's like Independence Day. Remember my last podcast? Um, it's even bigger. So I will talk more about that in a couple of weeks. But the city is alive with three huge celebrations coming up. Halloween, Day of the Dead, and Christmas. Because just like in the States, all the Christmas stuff is out. I was at the mall a couple weeks ago. All the Christmas stuff was out. So in I'm sorry to report that in Mexico City, they suffer from the same over-commercialization of Christmas that we do in the States. Um, I know I was talking a lot about the condiments it in uh, at Pescadito, um, and it's funny because I wanted to talk to you about condiments anyway. I know condiments are not exactly an interesting topic. It's not like I've run out of material, but I think you need to know if you like condiments that you've got to get to Mexico City because when you sit down, the first thing they put on the table is not water, it's condiments. And there's a place near me, um, Don Manolito. It's a taco place, and it, it's very good. Um, but my favorite part about Don Manolito is when you sit down, a guy comes over with a huge tray packed with tiny dishes. And every one of those dishes contains a different condiment, and he puts them all down on the table. You haven't even ordered yet, and your table is filled with little dishes of condiments. And I'm going to go down the list because I wrote the list when I was there the other day. Salsa verde, which is green salsa, which is my favorite. Salsa rojo, which is red. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, and you might get like two or three different red salsas because one is super hot. One is more like chipotle. One isn't so hot. Onions, cilantro, lime, a little dish of uh, chicharron. Um, cheese and chips. You haven't even ordered yet, and your table is filled with that. And it, he puts it down very dramatically. And 
I just, it's like one of my favorite things to watch. You can't use every single one of those condiments on whatever you're eating. It would be impossible. Your taco would completely fall apart because it would be so heavy and soggy. But um, you can certainly use a lot of them. And since I love condiments, it's really one of my favorite things that happens. I want to show Maria the condiment selection of Mexico City. Maria, based upon what she has heard in my podcasts, will probably agree because what Maria has told me she would like to see in Mexico City is not necessarily the Museum of Anthropology or the Palacio de las Bellas Artes or the Zocalo, uh, the Diego Rivera murals, the Frida Kahlo House in Coyoacan. No, she's not against any of those things. But here's what she would like to see. She wants to go to a bakery because in what in a previous podcast, I described what happens in a bakery, which is the complete opposite of what goes on in a bakery in Chicago. Um, the milk aisle, where there is in a supermarket, the cold dairy section is really not big. There might be a small selection of fresh milk, um, but what you are more likely to find is a humongous aisle filled with a never-ending selection of milk that doesn't have to be refrigerated and a wall full of eggs that are not refrigerated. And they're fine. I've been drinking that milk. I've been eating those eggs. It's not like there's anything wrong with it. They're, they're just, there's something about them where they don't need to be refrigerated. Maria wants to see it for herself. Um, she wants to see the gigantic curbs. She wants to hear that uh, the recording of the woman, you know, uh, that I've talked about before, where they're like the junkers, basically, um, collecting all the old crap in your house you want to get rid of, like your old mattress or your old microwave or whatever. Uh, they'll come and pick it up, and there's they go up and down the streets. They're all over. And the recording is like called Johnny's Refrigerators, this litany of things that they will take from your house and you hear it everywhere. And it's like the biggest sign of Mexico City. You know you're in Mexico City when you hear that recording of that woman and that pleading, not pleading, like plaintive voice going called Johnny's Refrigerators and everything else. And then there's the guy who walks around with the tamale cart and has a similar recording, except he's saying things like Oaxacanos, tamales, um, and they really are part of the sounds of Mexico City. So Maria has told me that's what she wants to do. Now I've got a list, the tour bus, the Zocalo, uh, the Opera Cafe, Cafe Tucaba, Sanborns. Um, Museum of Anthropology, Chapultepec Castle. There's like a gazillion great things here to see, but I'm so flattered and proud that Maria wants to see the idiotic things I've talked about on this podcast before that fascinate me. Um, and uh, so, you know, first stop is the bakery. Uh, and it took me three visits to figure out how to maneuver in a Mexican bakery but I was never so proud as when I told a friend of mine I had figured out how to maneuver 
the Mexican bakery, and he said I was a true Mexicana. Nothing makes me happier than when someone who is a Mexicano or a Mexicana tells me I'm a true Mexicana. It's happened twice. Once, when my friend Luis, when I told him that I knew how to figure out the bakery, but I only learned it because I watched, I finally figured out, I better just watch what a customer does here. And then I shadowed the customer. Most people shadow people for like important things like, you know, medical school or mentoring programs, whatever. No, I shadow people at the bakery and also uh, learning how to cross the street here. But anyway, when I told him I finally figured out my way around the bakery, he said I was a true Mexicana. The only other time that happened was when I told my friend Christina that I love putting hot sauce on popcorn. I saw them do that at the movies. When you get popcorn, there's like two or three different kinds of hot sauce. I'm telling you, in Mexico City, condiments are king. But anyway, and then you just take some of the hot sauce and squirt it all over the popcorn, and it's delicious. How have I gone my whole life not putting Valentina hot sauce on popcorn? But when I told Christina that that's what I was doing, she's like, girl, you're a true Mexicana. I could not be happier to hear that. So... What I'm thinking of doing is this. If Maria really likes seeing the crazy things I have talked about on this podcast, like unrefrigerated eggs, trees coming through sidewalks, um, you know, 15 condiments every time you sit down to eat. If she really likes that and it works out, then I may start a tour company here And it will be that kind of a tour because this place is loaded with every kind of tour you can imagine. So why not a tour of, I wouldn't call it the hidden parts of Mexico City, because then people will think it's like, you know, a secrets of the Zocalo tour or a ghost tour. It will actually be the things you pass by every day and never saw how funny they were. Um, So we'll see. As we say in Spanish, vamos a ver. Maria will be here tomorrow. We'll see how it all goes. When I come back next time, I'll tell you how my crazy tour worked out and also um, about the Day of the Dead celebrations. I hope you like this. If you did, um, if you can, please give it a good rating on, uh, I guess, Apple is where the rating system is. Um, And even if you didn't like it, give it a good rating. What the heck? Do me a favor. Um, And I will see you next time. Nos vemos pronto. Gracias.